Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. I woke up one morning, probably three weeks ago, maybe, with singing that song. Um, Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. But singing the line, I want to take your word and shine it all around, but first help me just to live it, Lord. And, uh, and I don't normally wake up singing. Um, so I guess I was singing it in a dream, or, or, or I'm not sure, but I woke up, and I was singing that song. And uh, so I, I messaged Brandon, and I said, hey, can we throw this in the list sometime soon? And, and, uh, but I was just thinking about those we sang that. We could, we could, you could live by that song pretty well. You know, I want to take your word and shine it all around, but first help me just to li- What does it matter if I preach the gospel if I don't become the gospel? Sure, other people will benefit from it, but what is that doing for my life if I'm not actually becoming the thing that I'm preaching? You know, this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know. He told the people, he said, listen to what they say. Just don't do what they do. How sad would that be if the only thing that people could take from our lives were the words that we speak because our life doesn't match up? He's called us to become this thing, not just preach this thing. In fact, he waited till they became it before he said, now go into all the nations and preach this thing. Why? Because it's so hollow if you, all you do is say it, but you don't actually live it. The world has seen that so much. The world is so full of people that have stories about people that said one thing and lived a different thing. And I, I just, like, like let, as a church family, like, like make that song in 2019, just something that burn, I mean, for the rest of our lives, but just let that burn in your heart of God. I want to take your word and shine it all around. I do. But first, God, help me to live it. Help me to become it. Jesus didn't say, like, memorize the word. He said to become it. And, and if we're not becoming what we're preaching, then why would we trust it to change anyone else's life if it isn't changing ours first? This is the confidence we have when we preach, is that it's changed my life. It's literally changed my life so I can look at you with full confidence, preach the gospel to you, and know the minute you grab a hold of that and you actually take that and you believe it and you put your faith in it, you turn towards him, there's grace on that word to, be, to, to perform what God said it would. I know that because I've seen it in my own life. So when I, when I preach, it's full of faith and it's full of conviction that this will change your life because I've seen it change mine. And so we, that, that's something like you don't, when God talks about, uh, to the Pharisees, he spoke, or Jesus spoke to them pretty harshly, but it was because he said they were hypocrites, meaning they, they were play acting. They were acting a certain way, but it wasn't the truth about who they were. And, and like, I would way rather people, when they get to know me, be shocked at how much more like Jesus I look in private than in public. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing if people who got to know you and knew you closely said, man, you're even more like him here than you are there. Like, I, I, I know what you preach, but then when I came to you, your response was even more than I would have expected. For people to be shocked by the love that you have and the grace that you carry. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing for someone to say to you? Like, I honestly was a little bit nervous because I know some of the stuff you preach, but then when I talked to you one-on-one, the love and the grace that you showed was even more than I ever expected. Wouldn't that be amazing? We could hear that. Um, and that kind of ties into the message I want to speak. I, I was talking to, me and Tom were talking, I think it was in October, and I told him, I said, I want to preach on the two wisdoms soon. And 
I tell him that all the time. I'm like, I'm going to preach on this soon. And I usually think it means like that week, and it's usually like three or four months later. But I think it was like October. I said, I really want to talk about the two different wisdoms. And so I've been just kind of thinking about and chewing on this for quite a while, and I I feel like it's ready to come out. Um, Turn your Bibles to James chapter 3. We'll start in verse 13. Everybody good this morning? Yeah? Awesome. Um, James chapter 3, verse 13 says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom does not, is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. God, I pray as I wrestle with the weight of this message, God, that, that, that when I speak, that, that your, my words would be seasoned with love and with grace, God, but that there would be no lack of truth, that it would be straight from your heart, Father, that our ears would be open to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive this word. God, that this implanted word that is now able to save us, God, would go deep in our hearts and produce a fruit in our lives, God, that the world tastes and sees your goodness through. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So James is talking here, and and he makes this statement about there being two different wisdoms, basically. He says there's wisdom from above and wisdom that's not from above. And the wisdom that's not from above is obviously from below. So we're going to talk about wisdom from above, wisdom from below. Um, and so James points, but before he talks about this, he kind of does it in backwards order a little bit. He says, but if you have bitter, ambition, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. And then he says this, he says, this wisdom is not that which comes from above, but it's earthly, natural, and demonic. So he's giving us the effect, and then he gives us the cause. He says, here's the effect. It's, it's, it's bitter jealousy and it's selfish ambition in your heart. And, and the, the, that's the effect. And then he says, this is the cause of it, is this kind of wisdom. In other words, the way that you think has been influenced by wor- the world, by senses or sensuality or natural, or by the demonic realm. And when that happens, you will see that in your heart, there's jealousy and selfish ambition. Jealousy is, is, I want what you have, but it's even worse than that. When he talks about this idea of bitter jealousy, it's, it's not just I want what you have. It's I want what you have, and I don't want you to have it. I want to take what's yours for me, and I wish you didn't have it, and because of that, I want it. It's one thing to look at somebody and see the, the, the amazing godly characteristics of their life and say, I want what you have, because you understand that like they received that from the Lord, and if the Lord gave that to them, he'll give it to you, and you could go to them and say, hey, I've seen the way you respond in these kind of situations, and it's so different than I would. I want that, because you're not saying, I want what you have, and I don't want you to have it, because there's something in me that wants me to have it, and you not to have it, because there's a need inside of me for me to be seen that way, and you not to be. Come on, it's ugly. Like when James is talking about this, realize in a few minutes, in a few words, I mean, he's going to start talking about wisdom that's from the demonic realm that's influencing this and bringing this into people's hearts. It's not like a light thing. It's not like, oh, hey, uh, you know, this is kind of a bad idea. No, he's saying like, this is ugly and evil. And then he says this, he says, if you have jealousy and selfish ambition, or your ambition is selfishness or self-centered or self-serving, he doesn't say jealousy or 
Because these two go hand in hand. When you're living for yourself and you're self-centered and selfish, you want not only everything that's yours, but you want everything that is everybody else's to be yours and you don't want them to have it. You would rather take for you than lay your life down so that others could take from your life. And James says, listen, if these things are going on in your heart, don't be so arrogant and lie against the truth. Notice, jealousy, self-centeredness, and arrogance travel together. Why does he say don't be so arrogant and lie against the truth? Because he understands that if you've got both these things going on in your heart, the next step is to become arrogant so that when the Lord tries to deal with you on it, you deny it and you think of yourself more highly than you ought to so he can't even speak the truth into your heart that he's trying to speak because you're so self-centered. You hear everything that's said for other people rather than for yourself. All right. (laughs) How to win friends and influence people. (laughs) It gets better. Anytime you're reading the Word and you come across something heavy like that, keep reading because I promise it always gets better. Because for everything that's wrong, there's something that's so right. Just like as, as through, through the sin of, of one man did the many become sinful, how much more then, keep reading, it gets better, how much more then through the obedience of the one man, the Christ, did the many become righteous. It always gets better. The heart of man is deceitful and wicked and hard, and, and who can know it? And it talks about having a stony heart, but then you read a little bit further, and it says, and I, in that day, the Lord says, I will take from them their stony heart, and I'll give them a heart of flesh, and I'll write my law upon their heart, and their heart will be to know me. They keep reading, because if it sounds bad, it's because you're reading the part that shows that you need him for what's promised. Don't stop on the bad part and say, I guess I just have a wicked, deceitful heart. No, no, keep reading to the promise of him giving you a heart of flesh that has his law written upon it and that craves to know him. A heart that craves to know him. Their heart will beat to know him. The, the very beating in their chest is to know me. It's what wakes me up in the morning is to know him. It's what makes me want to be alive. It's because I can know him. It's the thing that motivates me. It's what keeps me from becoming selfish because this life isn't about me. It's about him and knowing him. Maybe that's the reason why Jesus said, if you want to come after me, the first thing you have to do is get rid of selfishness. Why? Selfishness ruins everything. It ruins everything that it touches. Think about it. In the garden, Satan comes to Adam and Eve. They live in perfection. Realize there was nothing going on in the garden but good. It's perfect. And it included work. A promise works a good thing. It's not a curse. And the enemy comes to Eve, and you notice he doesn't say to her, bow down and worship me, Eve. He says to her, there's something more that the one that you worship is keeping from you. And if you had it, you would be like him. And he plays on her selfishness, which causes her to give an ear to a voice she was never meant to listen to, which leads her to actions she was never supposed to make. And it didn't start with the devil appearing with horns and a pitchfork and fangs and trying to get her to worship him. It started with him saying, you deserve something that you don't have, and he's keeping you from it. So Jesus says, listen, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny that thing because if that thing's alive in you, it'll give a landing strip for all sorts of evil. This is what he says. James says, listen, he says, if you see these things going on, if you see jealousy, 
Selfish ambition? That means the ambition of your life is about you. That means you wake up every day. This is the thing. Like, there's one of two people on the throne. It's not Lucifer on the throne, ultimately, if it's not Jesus. It's us. We're on the throne of our lives. Life is about me. I'm either serving myself or I'm serving the Lord. A man can't serve two masters. It's actually not the enemy or Jesus. Ultimately, at the end, if if he's not on the throne, it's me that's on the throne. Because Jesus said you have to deny yourself to follow me. You take it out of the kingdom of darkness and place it into the kingdom of light and his son whom he loves. And then Jesus said, listen, you die to self, alive to Christ. Everything passes away. All things become new. It's not me on the throne anymore. He's on the throne. That's why I have to deny myself to follow him. I have to deny me to follow him. I can do all sorts of religious things without denying myself, but I can't follow Jesus until I do. He said it. With his words. So James says, listen, when you see this going on where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil thing. When you see chaos and evil abounding, you know that at the middle of that somewhere, there's self-centered, selfish thinking. Every single time. Just think about it. What sin can be committed by someone who's selfless? Take self out of every sin, can you still have that sin? How can I steal from you if I don't care about me and life is about seeing you flourish? If I've laid myself down, how can I talk badly about you if life isn't about me and there's not something that I gain from making you look bad, but actually I want to put the best construction on all that you do? Take self out of it. I can't do it. It's the cause and the ruin of every single thing. So James says, listen, when you see that stuff, you're going to see everything else. Where you see everything else, it's because that stuff's going on, even if you don't see it. Because self-centeredness will often dress itself and cloak itself in a false humility. There's a difference, though. True love has no agenda. Selfish love has something that it wants. And it thinks the best way to get it is by acting selfless. But it's an act. It's not real. And it can't stay forever. I'm telling you, it can only last so long. We're going to get into that in a little bit, talking about relationships, because it's such a bold example of it. So James says, um, James says, if you see these things going on, this is why. He says, he says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So he's saying, listen, if you see these things going on in your heart, don't lie, don't be arrogant someone comes to you and talks to you about these things, don't let your arrogance be a deflection field that keeps you from hearing the truth. Actually listen to what's being said. So we talked about last week, it's like he looks at the people God does and says, I, even the priests, nobody said, where's the Lord? And he says, you've abandoned me and you've gone after other things. And he tells them the reason why is because he says, even your priest didn't say, where is the Lord? Even the pastors didn't ask where I was. He's like, listen, you guys were living devoid of my presence. He doesn't say you guys weren't having church. He doesn't say you guys weren't living in the houses I provided. You weren't enjoying the blessing. In fact, he says, I brought you into the land to enjoy the blessing. They were doing everything right on the outside. But he said, listen, something was wrong in your heart. And what it was is you guys didn't ask in the middle of all this, where's the Lord? Where is the Lord? And we talked about that, like having people that speak into our lives that really know us and the need for that. 
the need to have relationships with people where if we start getting off track or they say this stuff going on in our lives, they love us enough that they come to us. And when they do, we don't have an arrogance that keeps us from hearing their words, but we actually listen to what they're saying and we trust that they love us. Because here's the thing, when you're deceived, you don't know it. You need someone to grab you and shake you and say, hey, what are you doing? And when, when you have this person come say it, and this person come say it, and that person come say it, and that person come say it, at some point you have to ask yourself, if four people that I know love me are seeing this in my life and I'm not, maybe I'm the one that has a blinder. Maybe I need my blinders taken off. Because it's not them, 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 and them that are all wrong, chances are. It might be me. Arrogance would point the finger back or find fault with the one who's coming. Listen, this is one way, we, me and Patty were talking about this the other day because we had a little discussion. And, and <laughs> one way that you know you're acting in prideful selfishness is when you try to find fault with the messenger rather than listening to the content of the message. If when you're hearing what is being said, you're trying to find something wrong with the one who's saying it so that you can discount the message, you are stuck in self-centered pride. And listen, here's the thing. You know if you're doing it. You know it because when they start talking, the first thing you start doing is thinking about what's wrong with them and why they couldn't possibly be saying anything to me because of what's going on in their life. Listen, God spoke through a donkey that probably didn't have all his ducks in a row. He probably pooped in the barn. But he still spoke the word of God. James says, the reason that you have every evil thing and disorder and selfish ambition and bitter jealousy is because there's a wisdom that doesn't come from above, but it's earthly, natural. Some, some, some uh, versions will say sensual. It really comes from the Greek word uh, that means sensitive or sensual or natural, meaning that I judge by what I see, taste, hear, smell, feel. And he says, so, so you're either, either the wisdom that you're receiving, it doesn't come from above, it's coming from one of three places. It's either the wisdom of the world, earthly wisdom, it's natural or sensual wisdom, or it's straight from the demonic realm. So worldly wisdom is the way that seems right to a man, and it's rampant in the church. I promise you, don't hear me preach this message for people out there. Hear that this is something God's been speaking to me about for quite a while, and I promise you it's going on, and there's people in your life that are speaking into your life, well-meaning Christian people that are saying things to your life that is not founded in the Word of God, it's not founded in wisdom that comes from above, but is worldly and gets its root in the wisdom that seems right and the way that seems right to a man. And it has crept its way into the church in so many ways. Church people say things that make no sense with the word of God, but make all kinds of sense with the wisdom of this world. It's, I mean, we think about this. Dan is famous for talking about that, being schooled in the wrong school, right? Growing up listening to the wrong teacher. But just think about how many things you've been told. People tell you, if it seems too good to be true, it is. We quote that to people. And then we tell our children about a gospel that's way too good to be true apart from faith. Now listen, that's not a light thing. We instill in our children, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. I've caught myself saying that. The truth of the matter is, is if the gospel you believe doesn't sound too good to be true, it's not the true gospel because the true gospel takes faith given by God to believe because it's so much better than what you could imagine or think up on your own. So if it sounds too good to be true, it might be the gospel. 
But we, we just pass this stuff on. It's the wisdom of the world. It's out there. It's what people say. It's, it's just accepted. As, if you want anything in life that's worth having, you have to work for it. If you want something, you've got to earn it. And then we tell them about a gospel that can only be received as a free gift like a child. And that there's no works that will ever work our way into salvation. Come on. It's out there. And it's trying to make its way in. People will take Scripture and twist it. I've heard people say where James says um, that, that be angry and do not sin and, and nor let the sun go down on your anger. And they've taken that scripture, which basically means be angry and don't sin and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't ever stop being angry. And I've, t- I've heard people say, take that scripture, which a few lines later says, let all anger, wrath, and malice be removed from you. Okay? And I've heard people teach that scripture this way. Don't go to bed angry. Look, that's a great principle, but that's not what the Word of God was saying. Jesus was not saying that if there was some way you could get on a plane and keep flying around the world ahead of the sun, that you could just stay angry forever because the sun never went down. Daylight savings time doesn't give you the the right to stay angry longer at night. When you spring ahead, it's not like, oh God, thank you, because now I have more time at night, it's summertime, I can stay mad at my wife longer, and that's usually when I'm mad is when I'm home with her because she's the reason I'm angry all the time. And thank you, God, for daylight savings time, because now I can stay angry till nine o'clock at night, whereas before I had to go make up at six. Are you kidding me? You think Jesus is in heaven watching you give yourself to something he died for you to be set free from and he tells you to get rid of? And he's going, Father, I want to go down there and correct him. And God looks at him and goes, dude, the sun's still up. You can't correct him on that. <laughs> it's twisted. But hey, that actually feels good. It feels good to allow myself to be angry. I'm telling you, like we need to laugh at this so that we get the ridiculousness of this. If you're in a room with no windows, how do you know if you can be angry or not? No, I'm serious. If you're in a room with no anger, with no windows and no clock, and someone walks up to you and slaps you in the face, can you get mad or not? I don't know. You better go find a window and find out the sun's still up. That's not what that verse is saying. He's saying, be angry and don't sin. Like, be angry and don't sin and don't let the sun, don't ever stop being angry at the one thing that God's angry at that he gives us permission to be angry at. Sin. The effect of sin in our lives. That's it. Because a few verses later, he says, now let all anger, wrath, and malice be put away from you. Does it say, let it all be put away from you every day at the end of the day and then get mad the next morning when the sun comes back up? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine sitting in your kitchen you woke up in the morning, and your wife gave you a little bit of an attitude. You went out into the kitchen, and you're like, 15 more minutes, and I can get so angry. And then I got 13 glorious hours of sunlight to be angry at her all day and look nothing like Jesus, and he'll be totally fine with that because as long as the sun's up, I have his permission. Come on. But I've heard it taught that way. You've heard it taught that way. Tell people marriage counseling, you know. It's a good principle. Don't go to bed angry. What does that mean? It just means, hey, listen, if you guys have an issue, deal with it. Don't, don't go to bed. Don't let it fester in your heart. Don't let it build up. Deal with things. But that's not what that scripture is saying. But the wisdom of this world takes things and twists it. And then, because we live by our second thing that, J- that James talks about, our feelings, our senses, it has a landing strip because it feels good for me to be allowed to be angry at you and feel like I'm righteous in it. I mean, not you guys, because you guys are, have denied yourself. But I'm saying people who are living for themselves, 
love the right to be angry. See, this stuff all gives a landing strip for things that should never be in our lives as believers. Ever. We talked about this, so I'm telling you, you have to understand this. How many of you have ever cried watching a movie? Be completely honest. Look, look at the guys. Not me. You cried watching Old Yeller and Where the Red Fern Grows in elementary school. And girls, you cry every time you watch Titanic, and you've seen it 17 times. You fast forward that one part. But you watch it. Get off my back. It's only rated PG-13. Oh. I forgot. As long as we're over 13, evil's cool. I felt like I was going to step on toes this morning. I said that back there in the thing. I'll, listen, I'm not, I'm not telling you you, 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 you make sure that, that you're following the voice of the Spirit, but I am saying this, never purposely and intentionally put things into your mind that one day you're going to pray that God will renew your mind against. There's enough stuff coming without you trying for you to actually open your eyes and, and welcome this stuff in so that one day you're going to have to ask him to renew your mind against it. I promise you. Because I, here's the thing, it doesn't matter if you're watching it to be entertained. There's something that's being deposited. And what you laugh at one day, you become okay with. If you think I'm kidding, look at the things that are prevalent in our society and look at what they were 20 years ago. They were a joke. They were a punchline. They were a laugh. And they worked their way into being a part of everyday life. And now people who aren't, now, now you can't laugh at it anymore because you have to accept it because it is a part of society. And you're a hateful individual if you don't accept something that 20 years ago was a joke to most people. But you, you watch these movies, okay? Before you go in there, before you set foot in the theater, before you turn on your television, you already know it's fake. You already know. It's, it's not like someone told you like, hey, um, <clears throat> I've discovered a time portal. If you turn your TV on at 8 o'clock tonight and turn it to channel 13, it'll allow you to see back in time and you'll actually see the Titanic in real time as it was happening. It's reality. No, no, no. You know that, that his, name, his name's not Jack and her name's not Rose and the, that, that they weren't really clinging to a bed frame, you know, and some diamond got thrown into it. All this junk that we watch. I'm telling listen, you knew it was fake when you turned it on. You knew it was fake when you walked into the theater and yet your feelings were so real that you actually emotionally responded with tears to something that you knew was fake. Now think about how easy it is for feelings to lead you astray when what is being presented to you is being presented to you as real. If you can be led astray so easily by something you know is fake, how much more easily can you be led astray by your feelings when what's being presented to you is being presented as reality? Come on. This is the danger of living sensually. You live by what feels good. And it's promoted in the world now. If it feels good, do it. More wisdom of this world that caters to our desire and a, f- a fleshly desire for something that feels good at the expense of what is good. It's trading out our birthright for a bowl of soup because we're living by our hunger rather than by the words that come from his mouth. Come on. 
This is what James is talking about. He says, listen, if there's selfish ambition, if you're living self-centered and selfishly, and you've got jealousy going on in your heart, it's because there's a wisdom that's shaping the way that you think. And it's not wisdom that comes from above. It's wisdom that's coming from the way the world thinks. It's wisdom that's coming from what you feel and what seems right to you in your eyes, even though the Bible tells us, so we live, therefore, not by what is seen, but by what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, passing away, fading, perishing. But what is unseen is eternal, will be established, and will be forever. That's what that verse is saying. And yet, when you live by your senses, you're living by everything that's temporary and living for nothing that's eternal. And you want what you want in the moment at the expense of what he wants for eternity. And feelings will get you there. It's where you hear people, you can tell them the scripture and they will say to you, I know, but I just feel in their response. And it's a dead giveaway that selfishness is causing them to listen to a wisdom that is sensually driven rather than the wisdom that comes from above. I promise, it's a dead giveaway. Why? Because when we're living for ourselves, we're God. We must be served at all cost. And so my desire is what I want and what feels good in the moment rather than bending and yielding my will to the will of one who sent me. It's Jesus in the garden. If he lives by feelings... It hurts. It's going to be painful. He doesn't want to do it. He's sweating like drops of blood. And everything that he sees, his friends can't even pray. They can't even pray for an hour. He's going to hang on a cross for hours. They can't even pray for one. And the conventional wisdom, the wisdom of the world that he's hearing is, I'll never let that happen to you. I'll never let it happen. No, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Let's build a kingdom. Let me sit on your right hand. The wisdom of the world says, these people aren't going to accept you anyways. Why would you ever do this? His feelings, his senses are saying, this is going to hurt. This is going to be horrible. I'm about to become sin on behalf of every person that ever was and ever would be. And he gets alone with the Father. But watch what he does. In spite of what the world says, in spite of what his feelings say, and in spite of what the enemy is whispering in his ear, he bends his knee to the Father and says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Why? Because he's living from a wisdom that comes from above, not from the wisdom that is below. He's not living by his feelings. He's not living by his senses and what he sees. I promise you, those look, feelings are great servants and horrible masters. God created you to feel his pleasure. The pleasure of the Lord is a real thing. It's part of life. He created this life and created things for us to enjoy and gave us the ability to sense things so that we could enjoy. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's this tasting of him that he wants us to have. He's not against our senses. He's not against our feelings. But they have to be operated in a way that is actually submitted to him and not submitted to ourselves. The last thing he says, and this is the one that has been really just mm, to me, is he says it's demonic. Demonic influence is the one that tries the hardest to seem like God. And it's usually the one that ends up with God being blamed for actions and attitudes that are in opposition to his word and the example that we see in Jesus. I wrote that down. I want to say it again because you need to hear this. Demonic influence is the one that tries the hardest to seem like God and is the one that usually ends up with God being blamed for actions and attitudes that are in opposition to his word and his example through Jesus. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he's talking about false apostles coming. Listen to what he says. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
What's he saying? He's saying, listen, he's not going to come to you in a demonic form and try to get you to bow your knee to Lucifer. He's going to come to you as an angel of light and try to get you to bow your knee to God as he's presenting it to you. He's not going to come and say, <clears throat> look, that whole thing about God is not true. The fact that, there, that you believe there's Lucifer is because you believe there's a God. He's probably too late in getting you to bow your knee to him and worship him. What he'll try to get you to do is bow your knee to yourself and worship yourself and live at the expense of others rather than for others. He doesn't want to be on the throne. He doesn't need to be. He knows it's a whole lot easier to get you to sit on the throne and serve yourself than it is to put him on the throne and serve him. Promise. Look, I stayed up last night wrestling with this. It's as heavy to me as it is falling probably to you. But listen, none of this stuff is to point out and condemn us. It's to say, listen, we need to be aware of this stuff. Because like Paul said, we're not unaware of the devil's schemes. This is how we're not unaware of his schemes. We actually look in the word and we find the way he operates so that when we see it, we recognize it for what it is and we don't follow a wisdom that doesn't come from above. The goal of demonic influence is always to take away the attention from Jesus and to place it anywhere, somewhere, doesn't matter where else. That's the whole goal of the demonic influence is to try to take the attention off of Jesus and try to put it anywhere else. For believers, there's not much chance that he's going to put the attention on himself, but he can put the attention on all kinds of other things that are good things and get you to put your attention there rather than on Jesus. If we have a desire to be known and to take attention for ourselves, we need to stop what we're doing and repent and realize that selfish ambition never comes from the Father. It always comes from somewhere else that isn't Him. And in the end, it's demonic. I don't think any of the people Paul was talking about that were false apostles woke up one morning and said, you know what I like to do with my life? Be a false apostle. I don't think so. I think it starts pure. And I think that through worldly wisdom, through living by senses, through listening to the voice of the enemy disguised as an angel of light, it gets twisted. And it becomes something it was never supposed to be. And a lot of times the people who are deceived by it are so deceived they don't even realize they're doing it. This is why James gives a warning at the beginning. and says, if those things are there, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. What's he saying? You don't realize it. So when the truth comes, let yourself be humble, which is the opposite of arrogance. And humility would consider what's being said, check it against our heart, and the truth would speak. That's his desire. So um, I, I want to give a, a, just a kind of a, <clears throat> a real-world example of this. He goes on to talk about, and I, I don't have time to go into all it. Maybe we'll talk about some of this stuff next week, about the wisdom from above that's pure. Just take that one right there. It's pure. That means what? It has no motive. It has no agenda. There's nothing hidden attached to it. It's pure. When you hold up pure water, it means it's just water. There's nothing else there. It's not cloudy. It's not murky. There's nothing in it that's not supposed to be. This is what he's talking about. He says, wisdom that comes from above is pure. It just is love. It loves because it's love. It doesn't love for an agenda. It serves because it serves. It doesn't serve with an agenda. It lays its life down because it lays its life down, not so that it will re- receive something, not so that you will notice them, not so you'll recognize them. There's no hook in it. Think about it. So many times we are, we, we've bought into this thing that uh, if I go here, I won't stop. But I'm just telling you, listen, any wisdom that has self-serving agenda attached to it is not pure. And someone can be coming to you and giving you wisdom, but if they're giving it with the intention of it getting something for them rather than for you, reject it. It's not from the Father because wisdom that comes from above is first pure. 
when there's a motive and agenda behind the wisdom that's being shared, even if it sounds good and feels good, it's not. Trust that. But, um, but I wanted to give like a real-world example of this, and this is something that, and, and I, before I say this, I, before I start, I want to say this. I want to say that I know there's people in here who have been involved in what I'm about to talk about. And if this is the first time you're hearing this, or the second time, or the third time, or whatever it is, this is not to condemn anyone who's made this mistake, because like Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you knew then what you knew now, you wouldn't have done then what you did. What you did. And so I, I fully understand when I was talking in the first service, there's people I'm related to that, that have been through this, but this is something that has occurred over and over again. And it seems like the longer I've pastored, the more frequently this happens. And that is, I have two Christians sitting, in, two Christians that are following Jesus, sitting in my office talking to me, and one of them says, or both of them says, I feel like the Lord told me, or the Father said, or the Father showed me that I'm to divorce this person. And for me to believe that would mean that God has spoke to you personally something that completely contradicts and violates what he's already spoken in his word. And if he values his own word even above his name, Meaning what? Meaning he won't use his name to violate his word. How dare we use his name to violate his word? If he himself won't use his own name to violate what he's spoken, why would we ever give ourselves permission to use his name to violate what he's already spoken? Come on, I'm telling you. Open your Bibles, 1 Corinthians. I'll show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Paul's writing, and so, so in here he talks about the Lord says, then he says, I said. One thing we have to realize is sometimes he quotes Jesus, and then sometimes he's just writing as he's inspired by the Spirit of God. But he said all Scripture is inspired by God and is good for teaching and reproof, for correction. So we have to understand that whether he says it's the Lord speaking directly, like when he says what I, what, he talks about communion, he says, that which I receive from the Lord I also give to you. In other words, I'm quoting Jesus when I say this. This is something Jesus said to me. So when he's, when he's talking here, he says... Um, but to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. So he's making sure this isn't just Paul inspired by the Spirit of God. This is actually what Jesus himself has said. That the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. How, like, muddy is that? Like, just being honest, like, how, how hard is that to understand? And what is, is, like, open for interpretation? Or where does he say, unless or but or any of that stuff? And people will go to Jesus saying, you know, because of the hardness of your hearts, but I tell you this and that. But here's the truth. They walk up to Jesus, and, and Jesus, they say to him, they were trying to trick him, and they say, is it lawful for a man to get divorced from his wife for any reason? And Jesus looks at them and says, no. Have you not heard from the beginning he created their male and female and said, for this reason shall a man leave his mother and father be joined together to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man tear apart. And he's done talking. If they turn around and walk away, there's nothing more recorded. In fact, one of the gospels doesn't record the next part. It doesn't record all of that. Then they, they try to trick him. So now they're trying to get him to, they've got him to say No. Now they want to use that to get him to speak against Moses so that they can convict him of blasphemy. They say, then why did Moses permit divorce? And he, says, he looks right at him and says this, because the hardness of your hearts. These are people who are not born again. These are people who the cross has not happened, the grace and the reconciliation of the gospel, the new covenant hasn't happened, and they're still walking around with stony hearts that are wicked and deceitful. And he looks at them and says, it's because of the hardness of your heart. 
And people will grab onto that. Listen, I'm telling you, please don't take condemnation this if you fell for or you were given worldly advice or you were given advice the, the way of the world or you were given advice that, that, that really spoke to the way you felt or a, or a demon came and said, this is the, the Lord. I'm telling you, it's very clear when you read Scripture and you match Scripture up against Scripture, what's the Lord's heart? Is there forgiveness for it and restoration and grace? Obviously, every sin that, that you could possibly commit, God can redeem and restore, make all things new. But I'm telling you, once this knowledge comes, we have a responsibility to repent, which means to change the way that we think and live differently going forward. We can't go back all the time and fix what was done in the past, but we can make sure that going forward we live according to truth. Now the truth has come. And so, so Jesus says no, not for any reason. Paul says don't do it. And he says the Lord said that. Then he goes on to say this. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, he must not send her she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they're holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother, that brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know a wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know a husband, whether you will save your wife? What he's saying is, listen, worst case scenario, they actually come to you one day and they say, you know that whole Jesus thing that you believe, the whole God thing that you believe? That's a bunch of bull. You've been fed a line. You're part of a cult. I don't believe any of that stuff. He says at that moment when most people would tell you that you're now unequally yoked and you have permission to be divorced and all this kind of stuff that worldly wisdom speaks into that speaks good to our feelings, Paul says in that moment if someone was to come and tell you that, which is worst case scenario for most people, if, you, if they're willing to stay with you, stay with them. Don't be divorced. Why? Because he said that if you're a believer, a believer is someone who actually believes Jesus and the first thing Jesus said was lay down your life and to love other people. But love God and love other people. He says, listen, if you stay, if they stay together, the love that you show them, they'll see the love of God and they'll actually be sanctified. They'll come to know him and they'll actually fall in love with Jesus too. So if they're willing to stay, by all means stay because that's the first mission field that you're called to. That's, this is what he says. So now think about this. Now take any excuse now, he doesn't say, he does say before that, he says that there can be a time of separation, but it should be agreed upon by both people and that they should come together afterwards quickly so that they don't get tempted. Right? I'm not saying that there should never be a time where people are separated from each other, but it's that they both agree upon and it's for a set and per- said purpose and it has to be something that after they're done, they come back together on. Paul's real clear about that stuff. Now think about this. How could I then give myself permission to divorce somebody if I'm not selfish and living for myself and self-centered? If there's a promise that no matter how horrible they are, if I stay with them, if they're willing to stay, that they'll be sanctified by the love that I show. The wisdom of the world says, you've tried long enough. If they haven't changed by now, certainly they're not going to change. You might as well just give up. You deserve this. Are you kidding me? Look how unhappy you are. Wait, wait a minute. Why are you unhappy because someone else is broken if the joy of the Lord is your strength? I know this is, I'm not saying this lightly. I'm saying the truth of the matter is, is there's a place in him we can find where people's brokenness isn't the reason for or the reason against us being able to walk in joy. And that when we see brokenness, we hurt for those people, but we're not hurt by them because we're not alive for us. We're not taking it personally. We're not self-seeking and self-serving. I don't wake up every day so that I have a good day. I wake up every day to become more like him and so that the world through me would know him. 
And if there's someone in my very home who doesn't know him, that should be exciting to me because I have, an exa- I have the chance to shine the love of Jesus on them almost all day, every single day, and they can't escape because they have to sleep in the same bed with me or sleep in the bed next to me or sleep in another room or sleep on the couch. And while they're asleep, I can get up and I can pray over them. I can cry for them, but I'm not going to cry because of them because I'm not alive for me. I'm not taking it personally because I'm not self-seeking. Come on, this is real. This is the word of God. So there's this wisdom of the world that says, hey, you know, listen, the, the divorce is fine. The, the Christians are divorcing at the same rate as people who are not Christians. The rate is the same outside and inside the church, yet we have a word of God that says, don't do it. Why is that? It's because we haven't submitted ourselves to the word of God. We submitted ourselves to worldly wisdom or something that feels good to me. People come to you and say, you know, you deserve so much better than this. You, listen, you have been a saint. I would have never stayed this long. You deserve way better than this. There is someone else out there who will make you happy. No, there is not anyone else out there who will make you happy. There is one who will make you happy. If you have him, you're not trying to find it in a spouse. It's, um, but it feels good. It appeals to our senses. And Christian people will give this advice because we value our own opinion above the word of God. Because we feel bad for people and we want to see them happy. Listen, I promise you, God is more, more interested in that unbelieving spouse or that spouse that doesn't know who they are and why they were created coming to know him than he is temporary happiness. He doesn't say it's easy, but there's a promise that it will happen. It will happen. Or the angel of light comes and says, you know, I give you permission and I release you. This is why we need to be anchored in the word. This is why we need to be denying ourselves, dead to self and alive to Christ. This is why we need to submit to the word of God as wisdom. Because if the enemy comes and speaks something to you that is in direct opposition to what God has already spoke, it's a sure sign that it's not the Lord. It's, an, it's someone masquerading as the Lord. It's, it's actually the enemy. It's demonic. It's a demonic attack trying to dress itself up as an angel of light and trying to convince you of something that is not God's heart to get you to make actions that are against the word of God. So, so, so easy to see. I mean, it is played out in the hospital. We had worldly wisdom. When Aaliyah was in the hospital in the coma, we had worldly wisdom. Judd, you remember that time we were standing there and that doctor talked to us that time, the real discouraging one. And he, and he said this. He said, look, you need to be prepared for the fact that she will never be who she was. She's going to be way different. And she's going to probably be angry and violent and prone to fits of rage. And life with her is going to be difficult. And you need to prepare yourself for that. What is that? I'm not saying he had evil intention, but it's the wisdom of this world using what he knows to try to change what we already knew. Listen, a lot of times people have really good intention. This guy wasn't trying to like crush our dreams or anything like that. He was just giving us the wisdom of the world that he knew. And then, then there was the nights where I saw with my eyes and heard with my ears what was going on, and it wasn't good. And if I was living by feelings, essentially, I would have been crushed in those moments. And then there was the time that the enemy came to me as an angel of light and said to me, your daughter is going to die, but it's for my glory because so many more people are going to, the, because of the authority you'll have when you preach, when your daughter dies and you don't change your stance on him being a God who heals. 
And at the same time, I, and probably it was the same day, we haven't tried to compare dates because I didn't keep a journal like Patty did. Patty was being told, your daughter's going to die, but it's going to be for my glory because many people will come to her funeral and hear the gospel preached. What is that? It's the enemy coming as an angel of light and trying to get us to attach our faith to wisdom that's demonic. And if you don't know the word of God and you're not anchored and solid in the word of God, when worldly wisdom and what you see lines up with what the Father is saying, it's real easy to be deceived. Real easy. Maybe that's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me. Why? Because he understood the minute you start following him, the enemy's going to come after you. You know, the number one way the enemy has a landing strip in your life is if you live selfishly, you take things personally, and you haven't denied yourself and made life about him. It gives a landing strip to so many things. In the same way, when life is no longer about me, a lot of those things don't have any voice anymore. So God, I just thank you. I thank you that, that there is a wisdom that comes from above. God, I thank you that it's pure, it's peaceable. God, I thank you that it's unwavering and without hypocrisy. Think about that. It's unwavering. Why? Because God doesn't change his mind based on circumstances. So what you declare in the good times, you declare in the hard times because you know that he hasn't changed because he's unwavering, and that makes you unwavering because the wisdom that you're living by doesn't change with circumstance. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that we can be unwavering people, that in the middle of the, the best time and in the middle of the worst time, we can anchor ourselves into something that will not change. Father, I thank you that, that we know your voice and we know your word, Father, that when anything comes that tries to exalt a word from you using your name that goes against what you've clearly spoken in Scripture of God, it's so easy for us to see it because your word we've hidden in our hearts that we wouldn't sin against you. I thank you, God, that we submit our lives to others and we submit our lives to your word. Father, I ask that we would be a house of people that understand and, and, and fully feel the weight of speaking on your behalf. God, that, that, that saying to someone, God is saying, would come with a weight and a responsibility that it really is you, that it lines up with your word and it lines up with the nature and character of Jesus. I ask that we feel the weight of this, God. I ask that there be no condemnation. God, for any of us who have made mistakes based on, based on wisdom that wasn't from above in the past, Father, that we can be fully assured that your grace has covered them and that they've been wiped away from us as far as the east is from the west, lost in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up again. But God, we also feel the responsibility of now living in the light of truth, now that truth has come. That we repent, that we change the way that we think and we live differently as a result because truth has come. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.